So I want to continue my series, Mission 2022. And this series has been all about Pole Creek focusing on the year 2022 and how we as a church can continue to propel our community and world into an encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In everything that we do, we want to make sure that it is putting into the effort and furthering the effort of reaching our lost community. You know, many times we think, you know, we're in the Bible Belt. You know, there's a a good church on every corner. Surely everyone in Candler is saved. Well, we know that's not true. We know that's false, in fact. We know that, in fact, the Bible even teaches us that the way to heaven is narrow, that there are not many that go that way. And even in the Bible Belt today, we have a dark community in Candler. We have many people who are seeking hope. They're seeking um, love. They're seeking uh, uh, something to be a part of. Um, They're wanting someone to value them. And here at Pole Creek, we want to be that church. We want to be the church that God has called us to be right here at the head of Milk Sit Cove in Candler, North Carolina. So as we continue to look at God's Word, we are looking in this series at the New Testament church, the birth of the New Testament church. And we're asking ourselves, how did the New Testament church, the, the first century church in Acts, how did they reach their community? What did they focus on? What did they value? Because I believe that if we can get as close as possible to that church, to that first century church in their methodology, in their understanding and what they value, I believe that we can be a better church in the year 2022. So today the title of my sermon is A Modern Connection. In this series we've already talked about a modern message about how the gospel is as relevant in 2022 as it was in the first century. We also talked about our modern God. Although he is pre-existent, eternally uh, present, eternally existent, past, present, and future, he is still a God for the modern world. He is still a God who is near, a God who loves, a God who is compassionate, and a God who cares about all of his children. So today, I want us to talk about a modern connection. A modern connection. And what I want us to focus on is prayer. I want us to see how prayer connects us to God and how prayer is such a special gift from God. How it is a gift that is unfathomable, that me as a sinful human being can go into the throne room of God and talk to him anytime I want. It is an absolutely amazing thing, but we understand that it is biblical. And anytime we forgo the the benefits of prayer and, and just the absolute Um, honor to be able to pray to our God. We are giving up so much. So today here at Pole Creek, we need to be a church of prayer. And the only way that we're going to reach our community, the only way that we're going to propel them into that encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ is if we are a praying church and we are focused and unified in our prayer. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1 and we're going to start in verse 12. And we're just going to look at verses 12 through 14 today. So I'm going to give you just a moment there to get on your phone or get in your Bible there and look up that scripture, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. We're going to read both of those verses this morning. So I'll just give you one more second there to get to your place in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Now read with me, beginning in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, 
the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for this morning. Even though we could not meet together due to the snow, Lord, we're still thankful that we're able to meet together as a church. Um, Lord, we're thankful that your word is still being preached, that you are still being worshipped, that you are still being honored. And Lord, you are indeed worthy of all that worship and all that honor. We are thankful that we believe in a God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We are thankful, God, that you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, to be willing to die on a criminal's cross, to be buried in a borrowed tomb, and to rise from the dead three days later to grant us the victory over death, hell, and the grave. Lord, as we look at this precious word today about the disciples after your ascension and how they united themselves together in prayer in the upper room, I pray, Jesus, that you would put a passion in the hearts of the people at Pole Creek to be a people of prayer as we seek to glorify you and win as many souls as possible for the kingdom. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, all of you have probably experienced a poor connection. I can't tell you how many times Hannah and I have settled in to watch a movie or a show only to find the internet connection is slow or not working at all. One of the most frustrating things that you're going to encounter after a long day's work, after getting the kids put to bed, all you want to do is rest and watch TV, and there goes that little spinning icon saying it's buffering, saying the internet connection is slow. You watch a couple of minutes of the show, and then it buffers again. Then a couple more minutes, and it buffers again. A lot of you old-timers are probably saying, well, if you had just stuck with cable, you wouldn't have to worry about the buffering, and I'd have to agree with that. That's when I get up, you know, at some point, and I go, and I find the internet router, and I'll turn it on and off a couple times, try to reset it, anything to get that connection restored, because without that internet connection, that Wi-Fi connection, we're not able to watch TV like we want to. Or maybe you're someone, you've been way out in the boonies at some point, and you quickly realize that you had no cell phone service. Because we rely so much on that connectivity of our devices, the moment that we lose connection... We're alarmed and we'll, un we'll usually do anything we need to reconnect it. Even um, the youth of today, as much as they rely on and interact on their cell phones, freak out when they lose internet connection or freak out when they lose that cell phone service. It's a big deal, that connectivity. In the same way, though, Christians need to be connected to God in prayer. And that's what I want us to talk about today, a modern connection. In other words, in the same way that your phone has got to be connected to the cell phone tower or to Wi-Fi, as believers, we are not going to be of any use unless we are connected to God in prayer. And I think people today in our society can appreciate the need to be connected. As we're thinking about reaching our community, as we're thinking about being a church for the Candler community, we need to, as we are sharing about our great and loving and wonderful God, we need to make sure that they understand that our God is not just a God where you just go to some temple or go to some church and you have to recite prayers and you have to bow and you have to stand when you're told to and sit when you're told to and you have to do certain things. No, the God of the Bible is a God who draws close to you and you have a relationship with. And I think that is what we need to be sharing with a lost and dying world, that our God is one not only that you can be close to, but one whom you can talk to. He is someone you can speak to as though he's your best friend. Yes, he's the creator of the universe, but he's also those who have trusted in Christ as their savior. He is your best friend. 
And that's what is so attractive about the God of the Bible. And the fact that the God of the Bible is knowable and can be known and can be related to. So as we think about that modern connection, I want us to really consider three different things going on here as this first century church is beginning to be birthed. As the first century church is leading up to that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all humanity. Here in the upper room where the disciples and Jesus' brothers and his mother and the women, they were all together here in this place anticipating the birth of the New Testament church, anticipating what we called last week the ascension gift, who is the Holy Spirit. As Jesus ascended to heaven uh, bodily after his resurrection to sit at the right hand of God, the Bible teaches us that upon his ascension, we were going to be given a gift. Jesus himself even said that if he does not go away, then the comforter cannot come. And he said, it is good for me to leave so that I can send the comforter. So today we're going to see what that group of people were doing in that moment of waiting between the ascension of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. There was really a 10-day period there as Jesus walked the earth for 40 days after his resurrection, seeing people, discussing the kingdom of God with people. There was a 10-day gap between his ascension and the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost would have been some 50 days after Passover. And here we get to that 10-day period where there is that time to wait and to wait on the giving of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that I want us to see, if you're taking notes, hopefully you've gotten one of those Pole Creek Sermon Notebooks when you've been here. They're at the Welcome Centers. We just got a new order in, so if you don't have one yet, get one next week when you come. But the first thing that I want us to look at here is assurance in the past. Assurance in the past. And we're going to see that in verses 12 and in the first part of verse 13, the Bible says this, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. See, as they came back, they had just seen the ascension of Christ. They had just experienced him bodily after his resurrection. There was nothing more real to them at that time than the fact that Jesus is who he said he was. That Jesus was indeed God in the flesh. 100% God, 100% man. There was an assurance that they had from that past experience of witnessing the ascension, of witnessing Christ after his resurrection. I want you to think about this. When you buy land or, buy land or a house, what gives you the assurance that it is yours? Now, you may pay any given amount of money for this piece of property or this house, but who's to say it's really yours even after you pay for it? Well, what we do here in the United States, and I would say in many parts of the world, is you go back in time to when you closed on the property and signed the paperwork that transferred ownership. There was a time when you bought that piece of land or you bought that house where you had to meet probably at a lawyer's office you sat down with the person selling that to you and the lawyer, and you signed the paperwork. And you know that, especially here in Buncombe County, that once you close on a, on a deal, whether you buy a house or you buy land, you know that the lawyer's job is to immediately leave his office, go to the Register of Deeds, and record that purchase, record that transaction at the Register of Deeds. So now it is a legally binding transaction. You may have bought your house 40 years ago, 
But that transaction is recorded at the register of deeds, which assures you that that home is in your ownership. It is legally binding in that if someone else tried to make a claim on your home, you could take them to court and you would win by proving the records that have been documented and recorded at the register of deeds. Well, somewhat in the same way, we know that we have assurance that we can talk to God every day through prayer, that we have that connection because of a past experience similar to what the disciples had experienced. See, what I go back to when I'm struggling, when I'm having a difficult day, when I am just needing something from God, and, and, and the devil is telling me, you know, Ben, you can cry out to God all you want. He is not going to hear you. You have just, you're just not a good person. You're just not going to, uh, you're not pleasing to God. And listen, he's got bigger fish to fry. He is not going to listen to your prayer. What I go back to is my salvation experience. And what I mean is, is it's not some experience that I've created or that I've made up. But my salvation experience is the time in my past when I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I said, Lord, I no longer want to be the king of my life. I want you to be the king of my life. Forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me, wash me, and save me, Jesus, based upon your death, burial, and resurrection. When I go back to that time in my life, I then am able to, through the word of God, solidify and assure myself that when I pray, God hears me, based upon that past experience, just like the disciples at the ascension. He hears me because I'm his child. In the Old Testament, you're going to find a temple. You're going to find a temple as the center of worship in the Jewish and Israel community. In the temple, there was a large curtain known as the veil. And what the veil did was, the veil was a very thick, heavy, massive curtain that even took a team of oxen to open and close. And that was what divided the nation of Israel from what is known as the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was a room in the temple that was symbolic of and literally the presence of God dwelt there. And the veil had to be there because there was a separation between God and man because of the sin of mankind. Because the sin that plagued mankind was an offense to God. So there had to be that separation. Man could not approach God in the Old Testament anytime he wanted. He could not approach God just when he felt like it, just when he needed to, because of the sin that stood between the two. But what is so beautiful about our God is that he fixed that problem of sin. He fixed the problem of separation between God and man by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to take our place, to take our punishment. The wrath of Almighty God was poured out upon his son Jesus because of my sin and because of your sin. The Bible teaches us that upon the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You say, man, that took a really strong person to tear that curtain, to tear that veil. No, it was not torn by the hand of man. It was torn by the hand of God. Because upon the crucifixion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the debt had been paid. And upon the payment of the debt, there was no longer a hindrance between God and man. Because now man could come to God unadulterated, unhindered, in a way that is a beautiful, perfect relationship. So when we think through that, now we understand that if we are in Christ, that means there is no longer a separation between us and God. And since there is no longer that separation, we have that assurance in the past that God hears us when we pray. 
A supporting verse that I want us to look at is found in Hebrews chapter 4. I want you just to turn over there quickly with me. And if you have a chance to underline this verse, I would encourage you to do it. This is a verse that I think is a verse of encouragement that we maybe need to refer back to quite often. It's going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 14. The Bible says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. You hear that? We not only can approach the throne of grace, but we can approach it boldly. What does that mean? We can approach it confidently. We can approach it with assurance because we know that based upon the authority of the Word of God and our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, that our sin debt has been paid. We are no longer an offense to a holy God, that when God looks at us, He sees the holiness of His Son. Now listen, you might be sitting out there today and you've never been saved. And what I mean by that is you have never come to a place in your life where you sorrowed over your sin. You've never come to a place in your life where you realized you need forgiveness. And you've never come to a place in your life where you have accepted Jesus based upon the fact that he is God in the flesh, that he died for you on the cross and rose from the dead. If you've never done that, then you are not able to approach the throne of grace. The only way that God is ever going to hear you initially is if you go to him asking for salvation and asking to be saved. Now, once you do that, once you trust in Christ, and once the, the posture of your heart is turned from your own authority and your own kingship in your life, and it is turned to the authority of Christ, and you say, Jesus, I give you my life and I want to follow you. At that moment, you now have the right to boldly approach the throne of grace. At that moment... The sin wall that once separated you from God has been torn down by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I encourage you today, if you've never done that, today, even while you're sitting there in your living room or you're watching your phone at work on break or wherever or whatever may be happening, you can receive Jesus today based upon the authority of his word. So today we can have assurance in the past that if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We can be a people of prayer, and we can go in to him and pray based upon that past experience, just like the disciples in the ascension. The second thing that I want us to see is strength for the present. So certainly prayer is one of those things that gives us assurance in the past, but it is also something that gives us strength for the here and the now, the present, strength for the present. We find that in verse 14, if you will look in our scripture here, verse 14 of Acts chapter 1, the Bible says this. They all were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. I think it is important to see here that Mary would have probably been struggling to a certain extent. She knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. She had seen him in his resurrected body. She knew that he was okay, that he was God, that he was at the right hand of God. But I'm sure that there was an element in a mother's heart where she was missing her son. You see there as well that his brothers were there. The, the, the young men who grew up with Jesus, who Jesus being their older brother, probably looked up to him in a lot of ways. And what was interesting about his brothers was they didn't actually believe that he was God. 
until they saw him post-resurrection. But at the same time, there still would have been that closeness. There still would have been somewhat of sorrow there in their hearts for Jesus not being there at that moment. And then you think about all of the disciples who were there, the men who spent all that time with Jesus, traveling with him, ministering with him, seeing his miracles. You think about the women, you think about Mary Magdalene and those faithful women who stood by Jesus and served with Jesus. And you have to think about the sorrow that they were probably feeling at that time. Now, also, Jesus had commanded them. He said, you need to go back to Jerusalem. You don't need to leave Jerusalem until I give you what the Father has promised. And what he was saying was, is you don't need to be about ministry in the streets, evangelism in the streets, until you have been giving, given the Holy Spirit to give you power. So as we think for that strength for the present, we understand why now, in the middle of the ascension and the Pentecost, where these faithful people were praying. You say, Ben, they weren't out sharing the gospel. That's right. They were praying. Because I believe fully that before people can be saved, before people can be born again, it must be preceded by prayer. As we're doing evangelism explosion classes on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, as we're trying to equip our church to share the gospel, one of the most important things in that class is understanding that we cannot save anyone. Only the Holy Spirit can convict hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can bring someone to a place of repentance. And that is so important that we never allow our own power to be what we rely on when it comes to the salvation of souls. These folks here were praying because they knew the Holy Spirit was on his way. And when the Holy Spirit is poured out, we are going to be about the business of God. Prayer gives that immediate real-time connection. And I want to try to apply that to our lives today because it's no secret that many of us throughout our days have very difficult moments. It may be a moment that's unexpected. Maybe you're at work and your boss chews you out or you find out that you're being laid off or you find out that um, your child has done something or, you know, there's so many different things that can happen in the scope of a day that can really bring us to a low point. And the beautiful thing about prayer is no matter where you are, no matter what's going on at that moment, you can reach out to God in prayer. You can talk to him and you can pour your heart out to him. You don't have to recite the Lord's Prayer. You don't have to recite the Apostles' Creed. You don't have to say some elaborate, fancy prayer to God, but you speak to him from the overflow of your soul. You speak to him from the emotion that you are feeling at that moment. And the Bible teaches us, remember Hebrews chapter 4, that he is able to sympathize with us. The reason that the God of the universe can sympathize with a lowly human being like me is because he became man in order to save me. He is 100% God and 100% man. He understood sorrow. He understood temptation. He understood what it was like to lose a loved one. Jesus understood what it was like to be disappointed. Jesus understood what it was like to be betrayed because he became man and dwelt among us. So today we have a God who can sympathize Real time at this moment, he will hear you if you know him as your Savior. He is the creator of the universe. He literally spoke into existence everything out of nothing. He didn't have a ball of clay that he was given to say, create this, create a world out of this ball of clay. No, Jesus started with nothing and spoke it into existence. You know, when I look up at the stars at night, it amazes me at the complexity 
of the constellations. It amazes me that when I am standing here on earth, that I am possibly millions and millions of miles away from those stars. That I am so far away that I am a speck of dust in this great universe that our God has created. But yet, he created it simply by speaking it into existence. I mean, you think about the human mind. You think about how amazing the human mind is. I mean, I heard that just the other day in the state of Maryland that a man received the heart of a pig. There was a heart transplant where the man was given a pig's heart, and the moment they connected it to the man, it started beating. He's alive today with a pig heart in his chest. You think, man, the science and the, the, uh, the research and all that goes into the to figuring out how to do something like that. The human mind is amazing. You know what? The human mind does not scratch the surface of the mind of God. The mind of God is so far above us. His wisdom is so far beyond us. He is a great and a mighty God, but yet he is a God who is close. He is a God who sympathizes with us. He is a God who can hear our prayers. Amazing, isn't it? It just shows us how beautiful our God is. And as we are speaking to a world lost without Christ, they need to hear about a God who can connect with them in that way. You know, the, the religion of Islam is something that, especially after September 11th, became very um, uh, popular as far as uh, talking points on the news and, and all these other things as people begin to debate between radical Islam and, and just normal Islam and is there a difference or not and, and what, how should we view Islam? Well, Islam is a religion that believes in a God whom they call Allah. But the problem with Islam is, is their God does not sympathize with them. Their God does not hear them necessarily and have conversations with them. See, when a Muslim prays, they pray normally three to five times a day. They face Mecca and they recite the same prayers. So it's not my God, I've had a hard day. Is there any way that you could please give me strength and give me strength to love and, and help me to do this? No, no, it's not that for them. It's a recitation of the same prayer every single time. There's a great fear in the heart of the Muslim in order to perfectly please their God. And if you talk to a Muslim and you say, are you sure that when you die you'll go to heaven based upon your faithful practice in the Islamic religion? They'll say, I don't know. I can't know. But Christianity, when you look at Christianity, you understand from a biblical worldview that not only does our God hear us and sympathize with us, we speak to him out of the emotion and the love and the concern of our heart, but he also teaches us that we can know that we have eternal life. What better amount of freedom can you have than to know that whether you live or you die, you're going to be okay? That no matter what crazy stuff happens in our federal government, no matter what crazy stuff happens in this nation, no matter what crazy stuff happens in this world, that we're going to be okay because of our God, because of how great and how wonderful he is. So indeed, he gives us strength for the present. And lastly, I want us to see this, that this modern connection, that prayer is for anticipation of the future. That as we anticipate the future, we need to understand that prayer is going to be our number one guide. Prayer is going to be our number one resource as we propel ourselves and as our church propels itself into the future in 2022 to continue to lead souls to Christ. 
Listen, we don't need to just be praying for the present. We need to be praying for the future. We don't just need to be praying for souls to be saved today, but we need to pray that God will go ahead and prepare the hearts of lost people that the ministries of this church will impact so that they will be ready to receive the truth when we give it to them. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a car with kids on a long trip? I can say that I have, and even so recently, going from Candler, North Carolina, driving all the way to Kansas City, Missouri. It was about a 13-hour drive, and all four of my kids were in the car with us. I know, listen, just the thought of it's probably bringing you anxiety right now. It's bringing me anxiety, too, as I'm standing up here preaching. You, have you ever, you know, your kids, you know, they know that they've been on the road for a while. They know that they're probably getting close to that destination. And all of a sudden they say, are we there yet? No, honey, not yet. Uh, 30 minutes. Are we there yet? No, honey, 25 minutes. Are we there yet? No, honey, 24 and a half minutes. Are we there yet? No, honey, 24 minutes. And it gets to this point where obviously they are anticipating getting to the destination so much so that they are, it is an outpour of their heart saying, when are we going to get there? We want to get there now. And there's excitement that's happening. In the same way we as Christians ought to be about the future that God has for us. It should be one of those things where we are beating the door, <coughs> excuse me, we are beating the door of heaven down, asking God, God, who are you going to save next? God, how can we reach our community? God, what can I do to be a, a better example to my children? God, what can I do for my neighbor? God, um, prepare my neighbor's heart to hear what I'm going to say to them. God, and, you, and in the same way that that child is in just a great anticipation, we should be praying in the same way, praying in anticipation of an end result. Not, God, I hope you're going to save some people through our church. God, I hope you're going to save some people through me. No, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. I know you're going to save people. I am anticipating the salvation of souls through our church. And Lord, I am praying to that end. I am praying that you give me grace and mercy. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit go with me. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would be on the other end of the transaction, working in the heart of those whom I'm going to share the gospel with. Listen, the disciples were going to have a great future after this. After they were going to be, um, obviously they witnessed the ascension of Christ. They were now in the upper room uniting in prayer in this time of waiting, anticipating the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Once the outpouring of the Holy Spirit takes place, we're going to see the disciples go just like veins of water all over the known world. They are going to be evangelizing the world as it was at that time. And each disciple through church history, and some even scripturally, we find that what they did after the Spirit was poured out and the ascension of Christ took place, what they did after was an all-out assault on darkness on planet Earth with the light of the gospel. There was an anticipation in their souls, in the souls of the women who were there, in the souls of Jesus' brothers, that, hey, when the Spirit is poured out, we're going to get to work. We're going to anticipate that God is going to do great things through us and for his glory. And they went to prayer. You know, it's, it's funny how somebody, they're going through a hard time and maybe they need some advice. And the very first person they'll tell to is maybe a friend. 
They'll say, you know, I'm having this issue, and I was wondering if you could help me with that. Or, you know, this, this really exciting thing is coming up in the future, and, you know, I just want to make sure I don't mess it up. And then they'll go to their friends, or they'll, they'll tell their coworkers, or they'll tell their family members, or whatever it may be. But yet they don't first tell God. They don't first talk to Jesus about it. They don't first go to him for advice. Well, here are the disciples. Jesus said, go and wait in Jerusalem. Do not leave until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you know what they did? Exactly what he asked them to. They went back to the upper room where they had been staying. And the Bible teaches us that they devoted themselves to prayer. Did you hear that in verse 14? They were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So their first response was not, let's post it on social media. Let's go and tell the community. Let's go and No, their first response was, let's go pray, because we know something big is coming. Now, Pole Creek, I'm going to tell you right now, something big is coming for our church. You may say, Ben, are you a prophet? No, I'm not a prophet. But I'm basing that on the authority of the Word of God, that when a church of people who trust Christ come together, unite in prayer, God does big things. Souls are saved. I don't believe souls can be saved without the preceding of prayer by God's people, by the outpouring of people's souls, the, the absolute yearning to see souls saved, the sorrow over the possibility that someone could die and go to hell. And as we cry out to God from the depths of our heart, asking him to do great and mighty things, our God is faithful to do those things. The Bible says that he will, if we pray according to his will, that he is faithful to answer our prayers. And I believe that God's will is that no one should perish. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to faith and repentance. So as we think about that, I want you to hear about what the disciples went on to do after this. Why now we see prayer was so important because it prepared them for what God was going to do in their lives after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Peter, who was the leader of the Apostles, was martyred in Rome in 66 AD. He gave his life for the gospel. It was during the persecution under Emperor Nero. Peter was crucified upside down at his own request, since he did not feel he was worthy to die in the same manner as the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why Peter gave his life on that cross upside down? It was for the preaching of the gospel so that people could be saved. Ben, how, how can a man have the strength to do that? How can a man have, a woman have the strength to go and preach a message that they know is going to bring them imminent death? It's because they knew. They had the assurance of the past. They had strength for the present. And now there was anticipation for the future that they knew that no matter what came in their life, that God was going to take care of it. We think about John, one of the only apostles greatly to have um, believed and thought to have died a natural death from old age. But even John had this great ministry before him after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He was the leader of the church in Ephesus and is said to have taken care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in his very own home. You think about the importance of his ministry and why prayer was so important in his anticipation of the future. During Domitian's persecution in the middle 90s, John was exiled to the island of Patmos, there he is credited with writing the last book of the New Testament, the Revelation. An early Latin tradition has him escaping unhurt after being cast into boiling oil at Rome. So no matter which one of these stories or traditions are true, we understand that John did great things for the Lord. In his anticipation for the future, it was important for him to connect to God in prayer. We also see James, the brother of John. 
It says that in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we actually see what his end was. The Bible says, about that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. There was an enraging uh, persecution from King Herod against Christians. And it says that King Herod executed James with the sword. Andrew, another one of the disciples, went to the land of what was known at the time as man-eaters in what is now the Soviet Union. Christians there claim him as the first to bring the gospel to their land. He also preached in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and in Greece where he is said to have been crucified and martyred for his faith. You then see Philip. He possibly had a powerful ministry in Carthage in North Africa and then in Asia Minor where he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul. The proconsul was so angry that Philip had um, led his wife to the Lord that they arrested Philip and cruelly put him to death. Thomas, remember doubting Thomas? Sometimes we look down on Thomas, but Thomas was a fighter and a soldier for Christ. It says Thomas was probably the most active in the area of Syria. Tradition has him preaching as far east as India, where the ancient Marthoma Christians reserve him as their founder. They claim that he died there when pierced through with the spears of four soldiers. Bartholomew, another one of those respected disciples, had widespread missionary travels attributed to him by tradition to India with Thomas, back to Armenia, and also to Ethiopia and southern Arabia. There are various accounts of how he met his death as a martyr for the gospel. Remember Matthew, the tax collector? He was the writer of the gospel, Matthew. It says that he ministered in Persia and Ethiopia. Some of the oldest reports say he was not martyred, while others say he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. James, the son of Alphaeus, another one of the faithful disciples, um, and possibly even the brother of Matthew, here um, there's some the confusion to, to what happened to him, but this James is reckoned to have ministered in Syria. The Jewish historian Josephus reported that he was stoned and then clubbed to death. Remember Simon the Zealot, one of those hardcore patriots that were against the Roman Empire? The story goes here that he ministered in Persia and was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Judas, the son of James, not Judas Iscariot, also known as Thaddeus, took the gospel message north where he performed miracles, preached, and founded a church in Edessa, an area in modern Turkey. One tradition says that he was either clubbed or axed to death for his faith, and another that he was crucified. You then get to Jesus' brothers who were not disciples, but who became apostles. They had seen Christ after his resurrection, and then went to do great things for the gospel and the kingdom after Jesus ascended. James was an early leader at the church in Jerusalem. Church tradition says that he was either stoned to death by Jewish leaders or thrown from the top of the temple and beaten to death with a club. We then see Jude, the writer of the book of Jude in your Bible, which is very little known about him, but it is thought that he possibly ministered to churches in Palestine. Now listen, I know that was a long list, and I know that was a lot of different things for you to try to process in your mind. But the fact is that these men anticipated their future calling. They anticipated the ministry that God had laid before them. So Pole Creek, this is what I want for you. I want us, in anticipation for the future of what God is going to use us to do in the world, and what God is going to use us to do in Candler and beyond, I want us to anticipate it with prayer. I want us to pray toward the future, not God, I hope you do this, not God, would you please do this, but God, I know 
that you're going to save souls. And you know what? My hope has always been that the gospel be so rich and so thick in Candler, North Carolina, that it eradicates drug addiction. It eradicates domestic violence. It eradicates sexual immorality. Because, listen, the gospel is powerful enough to do all those things. And Pole Creek, God has put our church here for this moment and this time and this geographic location for a reason. Today, if you're listening to me and you're saying, Ben, I've never accepted Jesus, please trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can even go on our website, and, and we have some information there where you can contact us, polecreek.org. You're welcome to go on there and check it out. Reach out to us if you need counseling or if you need someone just to talk to, to pray with you, whatever it may be. You can also email us at info at polecreek.org. Um, but I just want to say again, thank you for, for listening in today for allowing us to minister to you through the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I look forward to what God is going to do in 2022. Please, please, please do not forgo that modern connection where you can today talk to Jesus if you are indeed his child. Let me pray for us. Dear God, we are thankful for your word. And Lord, as we know, this is a cold, snowy day. We weren't able to be here in person. God, I trust that you will keep our church family safe that you will uh, bring us, God, to a place where we know we have assurance in the past because of our salvation, that prayer can give us that strength for the present and for that moment. But Lord, also let us continue to pray in anticipation for what you are going to do mightily in and through Pole Creek Baptist Church. God, I pray for the sick. I think of my brother uh, Tim Wells today, God, who has been struggling in the hospital. I pray that you would touch him and his family, God, and all the other sicknesses, Lord. I know that if we mentioned them all, we would be here all day because there's so many people hurting. God, I pray for peace in their lives and strength. And God, we love you. I pray for safety in Jesus' name. Amen.